Hello and welcome to the TV Arc on the Arc of E! Network. My name is Noah and this is our coverage of Here and Now Season 1. This is for Episode 3 entitled, If a Deer Shits in the Woods. And just a note at the top of this episode, obviously, uh, you know, I had said every Monday, clearly, uh, late again, uh, I was late last week, explained all of that. I think what we're going to say going forward is you'll you get it by Wednesday, people. Uh, sometimes I'm just bushed by the time I watch this episode, which usually I don't watch it when it airs. I watch on HBO Go uh, around 10, sometimes 11, and I usually have to work Monday mornings, and I work a full day, so uh, very, very tough to uh, find the time to go ahead and record right after the episode, but this will give me a little more time to formulate my thoughts, and in the future, I'm going to try and be a little bit more brief. Again, we've, we've discussed that. It's just me here. You may hear from my unofficial co-host, Fife Dog, who is in the room right now, because otherwise he'd be banging on the door if I didn't let him in studio, so here we are. You'll, you'll probably hear from him at some point, but, uh, you know, I, I find that with the structure of this show and the fact that it is a character-driven family drama without a, a ton of big set-piece moments, um, it's, a, it's a little tedious maybe going through scene by scene. So what I'm going to try here is we're going to go off of HBO's episode description. We'll use that as the basic setup, and then I'll just kind of dive into what each one of those was. And there's there's Fife right now. You think that's a good good idea, Fife? Uh, you think it's a good idea to tear down the tapestry. Uh, Five Dog is going to be exiting the studio very, very soon. So I'll go ahead and apologize for any banging you might hear on the door in uh, the rest of this cast. Uh, back in a moment. All right, the unofficial co-host has been detained, and we will continue from there. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and uh, we'll get plugs out of the way up front, and then we'll dive into the episode. Since we last met here on the TV arc, uh, we've got a few new podcasts up, both on the movie arc feed you're not subscribed go do that um the first of which is a lengthy review of duncan jones mute which is currently available on netflix that's with me and gavin uh i was a little middle of the road gavin definitely a lot more positive but i do encourage you to check out the movie and also check out that cast also uh we had a little bonus edition uh which was awesome but not for something awesome but also is kind of awesome uh, all at the same time. Uh, Kevin Smith, who's a a podcast filmmaker uh, hero of of mine and uh, pretty much everybody here at the Arc of E, uh, he recently had a massive heart attack and basically a uh, very serious health scare. And he's he's all good. I actually watched an update from him today on Facebook Live, and he's doing well, uh, recovering uh, very very nicely. But uh, Matthew J. Blanchard, my older cousin, who writes for the uh, site for the Four Color Arc, that's his baby, and also has the Four Color Arc podcast and guest uh, on all of our podcasts, he did a little tribute episode. So he took over the movie arc and did uh, what we're calling To Sir With Love and just talked a little bit about his uh, admiration for Mr. Kevin Smith and wanted to send some good vibes and well wishes his way as he's recovering and getting back in the swing of things. So uh, go check that out. Just a little short bonus episode, about 15 minutes long, and the more lengthy uh, movie arc proper, if you will, with a review of Mute. So uh, that's what's up right now on the arcve.com and our podcast uh, apps and such, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. We're also on Google Play now for all you Android users. 
Anyways, uh, let's get right into it. Episode 3, here and now. If a deer shits in the woods, guys, uh, what what happens if a deer shits in the woods? I, I don't know. Let's Let's see if we can figure it out together. And again, we're going HBO's episode description. This is what comes up on HBO Go, and we're just going to work our way through this well, as a starting point. Uh, Greg gets detoured on the way to an ethics convention. So, end of last episode, I don't know if I missed it and they set it up or not, but I was just like, I don't know where Greg's driving at the end when we have the whole 11-11 crossroads moment, and he goes the wrong way or the other way, depending on how you look at it. So, apparently, he's on his way to an ethics convention, okay? And we start this episode with him having detoured, and he stops, sees a deer, a uh, not very convincing deer. Very odd to me, uh, anytime you have this much CG in a show of this nature, and it definitely looks like they spent a lot of money on it, but it is clearly a CG deer. Anyways, uh, Craig follows this deer into the woods for quite some time, and uh, it's kind of wandering, lumbering, lost, etc., and... <laughs> Eventually, uh, we get to our, you know, the title of the episode. He comes upon the deer, the deer is shitting. He spends the entire night uh, in the woods, uh, again, supposed to be at this conference, and he awakens, he, he has the, the vision of the deer. I can't remember if that's before he goes to sleep or the morning after he wakes up, but anyways, he had been wandering through the woods, and then all of a sudden, he's right back by his car. So, yeah, we, we, we don't quite know what's going on with Greg, but he's uh, in quite a state when he does eventually arrive. And again, we're kind of going out of uh, order for the episode, but we'll just kind of work through the threads uh, as they're listed here. So he gets to the convention, very disheveled. Again, he spent the night in the woods and kind of kind of ranting, raving a little bit, maybe a little bit of uh, I'm getting a little bit of uh Finch, I, I, I believe it's Peter Finch. Uh, I'm going to look that up so I'm not misquoting it. But uh, Network, of course, uh, you know, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. A little bit of that energy. I, I think that's where, where Tim Robbins is coming from anyways, performance-wise. But uh, he gets into a somewhat heated debate with uh, his fellow philosophers who are on this panel. And again, he seems to be kind of diverting from what most people know as his approach to things of living in the here and now, uh, not getting too caught up in your own head or your own just processing of everything. Just like, just be, just exist that, you know, that sort of approach to everything. But he's just, he's super upset and he's not, not dealing well with the state of the world, with the state of his life, just this general anxiety and angst over what does it all mean? So, uh, but we get our, our titular line, if a deer shits in the woods, and the answer is, it, it doesn't matter if anybody sees it or not, it's still shit. Don't quite know what overall metaphor or statement, but very, very pessimistic one at that. So, uh, yeah, Greg, Greg's not doing too well. Uh, let's, uh, let's continue with the HBO description. Audrey lands in the media crosshairs after a hate crime at school. Okay, so the Audrey storyline for this episode. Uh, this I, I'm still wrestling with this one, and there's a lot of things in this episode that I'm wrestling with. This is the 
first time I'm way more, I think, on the fence, a little less forgiving than I have been maybe uh, on episodes one and two. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit. But anyways, uh, at school, Kristen's school, where Audrey works, uh, there's been a hate crime. And there has been an effigy of a black person hung from a tree with a sign around its chest that says, I feel, and you'll, of course, remember her uh, great, not great, not great. I I still don't know how I felt about it. The whole debate uh, that she held with the warring parties of students and where she encouraged everyone to use the opening statement, I feel, because it communicates your internal emotions better and helps people with empathy. Uh, so this effigy of a black person hanging from a tree says, I feel dead. Okay. So they're, they're taking that down. Of course, this is, you know, she's fired up. This has caused quite the firestorm. We got, we got the local media out about, and she responds with compassion, uh, on camera. And she even seems a little uncomfortable or a little unself-aware that she's doing it. They're definitely hitting like, She's going to feel differently about this when she sees it. Inevitably, she does. Uh, and that is, of course, juxtaposed with a, a student who is very much like, no, this is a hate crime. This should be prosecuted. Like, we need to find these kids and, and get them out of the school, period. Shortly after uh, she's confronted by the media, she is informed by the principal that due to budget cuts, uh, she's she's got no job anymore. They just they can't find room for her at the school, even though... They were very happy with her work, uh, but yeah, so Holly Hunter not, not having a great episode either, but this is, uh, this is one of the elements that did work for me. Basically, she's down and out, she's in the dumps, and she calls Greg to basically say, like, I, I need you to, I need you to come home, like, I need you to come home right now, basically, and he's, of course, you know, delighted at the opportunity to find a convenient exit from this weekend. So he uh, heads back from his ethics convention, and we have uh, one of my favorite scenes of the episode, which was the two of them having a really honest adult conversation about just their current state of their relationship, the level of intimacy that they've maybe been lacking, the uh, tension, not tension, that's kind of constantly there between them, but they get a lot off their chest. They talk about... uh, you know, they've been together for, uh, I, I forget how many years it is at this point, or I think we're, we're in the 25 plus range, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, they just get into a lot of discussion of how much desire still plays a factor in, and wanting and needing to be desired by your partner, even as you continue to get old, you want to feel like you're still wanted by that other person. And I thought this was a, a great, like, romantic scene a very realistic scene and super well acted by holly hunter and tim robbins as expected uh some of the greg character elements the more uh pessimistic side of him i i don't like those notes as much but there there's a sweetness to him that comes through in the scenes with holly hunter that i i feel like i'm getting those those multiple shades of characters which is something i absolutely loved and responded to in six feet under is the gradual onion peeling and just how you know given different circumstances where i love that we don't have characters that we're always going to be able to predict their behavior you know what i mean so uh as as if you guys can respond i really wish i had a co-host here again 
you want to co-host, thearcavi at gmail.com. If you're, if you're watching the show and you'd like to help me out, just, uh, just fumbling here, you know? It's just me and a, a phone with the episode description, a cat outside waiting on, waiting on my lovely girlfriend, Veronica, to get home. But I got to squeeze this in uh, before she does get off work. So, okay, back to the episode and the description. Duke reveals the secret to staying, excuse me, yes, the secret to staying in control, or his secret to staying in control. So this uh, Duke's arc of the episode, if you will, uh, he has a BMX race, a, a mountain, mountain bike race, with Ashley's husband, whose name escapes me at the moment, and we'll just keep moving on from there. And Duke naturally finishes in first place, which apparently is something that happens very regularly, as we find out later. And we there's this moment where it feels like uh, Ashley's husband gives, you know, seeds second pl- the second place finish to another competitor and settles for third. And he and Duke get into it afterwards. Duke's like, you're not pushing yourself hard enough, blah, blah, blah. And the husband's like, I just, you know, I don't care anymore. And what comes out basically is that he's upset that Duke did not tell him about Ashley and the guy, the model from Ashley's work, uh, you know, going out for drinks, doing coke together, all that stuff prior to the party. It's like, you're supposed to be my best friend. You're not even telling me what's going on with her. Blah, blah. So really, really odd place for this to come out. And again, their argument, Duke's argument over like, oh, you should push yourself harder and all this stuff. And I get that he's He's a life coach. He's definitely somebody who seems to strive for perfection, et cetera, expects maybe too much of some people. But anyways, so weird kind of tension between them, but they seem to kind of move past that. And we're building up to a dinner where uh, Ramon is going to bring his new uh, barista friend, Henry. Henry, again, getting more familiar with the character names. There we go. Okay, so uh, this is going to be the first proper introduction for most of the siblings to Henry. So we've got that set up, but we also know behind the scenes that Ashley's husband has insisted on inviting Carmen, another life coach who he thinks he can maybe set Duke up with. Even though, as we're told in the bar scene uh, following the BMX race, uh, where everybody's kind of celebrating... Duke says that the secret to his success is his celibacy. It's channeling his sexual energy into something else. And, of course, they all kind of laugh this off. And it's like, you know, well, you could just be that dedicated or whatever. Like, what makes you better that you're just not having sex, blah, blah, blah. And, again, I still don't know what to make of last episode. I don't know if we if Duke was actually engaging in that behavior with the four uh, women that we saw him with in the course of that montage. If that was a, a flashback, a flash sideways, like I, I still don't know quite how to take that if he's broken the celibacy because it seems like they're setting up this tension of he's going to attempt to break it with Carmen. But obviously when we saw him breaking his celibacy, uh, in quotes, last episode, uh, there was very little emotion or connection uh, going on there. And that probably plays into why he headed down that road. I, I'm not quite sure. So it'd be interesting to see how if maybe the attempt at an actual relationship with Carmen is what really uh, will give us a little bit more background on why he's chosen the whole celibate route beyond just this, you know, pouring your energies into something else in your life other than just sex. So anyways. The, the dinner scene uh, between all of the siblings, 
it, it, I want to say, and I still haven't, I still haven't been able to at this point in the season, in the series, been able to say that I've enjoyed any of these interplays between the siblings and the characters as much as the, the characters in Six Feet Under. And I don't know if it's the writing, I don't know if it's the performances, but there's something there that's just not totally clicking for me. I, I don't know that I feel the history between these characters that is certainly implied, but again, I just, I'm not feeling it totally right now. But uh, things go somewhat bumpily with uh, introducing Carmen, but it does seem like they're going to meet. And also, uh, Ramon uh, makes a plan to meet with Carmen just to kind of further investigate because she uh, she's an empath and she also thinks she has a little bit of uh, psychic ability, if I'm not mistaken. So Ramon's interested in exploring that. And... It seems like Duke is interested in exploring a possible relationship with her, so we'll, we'll be tracking that in future episodes. Uh, just a quick note on Ramon, this is not in the episode description, but basically you've got his relationship with Henry building up. It culminates with him giving him a key to his apartment permanently. And uh, also we find out that his game that he's been working on has been chosen by his university to be part of a gaming expo. So I'm sure we're going to get... More detail on that probably next episode. Uh, I don't think they'll make us wait too much longer for that, but that that could be a cool uh, little thread or arc of an episode uh, centered around a gaming expo. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm interested. So uh, back to the last and arguably, uh, for me, the, the most important thread of this episode, or at least the one that I enjoyed or c- not connected with, but just enjoyed the most. Uh, Shokrani looks for unconventional help to get him through a wedding okay and this is of course mr peter mcdesey as i've been referring to him up until this point but he's dr shokrani he is uh ramon's therapist at this point and we've already established you know we're going to follow him into his family life basically uh there is a wedding uh a traditional muslim wedding uh it's there's going to be a lot of religious ceremony involved and shokrani does wants no parts of this. We reveal earlier in the episode uh, that through some very, very... Uh, or no, excuse me. I'm, I'm confusing myself. Earlier in the episode, we see his scarred back, which he uh, uses an ointment on regularly. His wife is not at home, so he has his son uh, actually volunteers to, to put it on him. And it's actually a really touching scene uh, between the two of them. And... We're kind of, we're like, what's, what's going on here? Definitely like a dramatic music sting and everything when they reveal the back. And what we basically find out is when he uh, pulls up to this wedding, we get a lot of like intense quick cuts to him as a child, I believe, being whipped in what we assume is some sort of like religious practice or punishment. Uh, And so he... He bails. He's he does not want any parts of going away. He doesn't think he'll be able to deal with it. So he says, you know, I'll just come back and pick y'all up in a little bit. And he leaves, very anxiety ridden, et cetera, et cetera. And he's driving down the road and he all of the sudden he's basically having a panic attack, an anxiety attack. And all of a sudden he sees a store called Cannibalis. Okay. Uh Ramon, earlier in the episode, they had kind of a very uh contentious 
conversation about uh, the efficacy and uh, I, I don't know how we want to put it, the use of the use of marijuana, whether Ramon should continue to do that given all of the stuff that's happening, potential hallucinations, et cetera. And basically Ramon defends it as I don't want to be on medication. I like I found something that works for me. Why would I mess with that? It just it takes the anxiety out of me. It takes the anxiousness. It lifts the weight off of me, so to speak, the weight of everything. So Shikrani doesn't doesn't buy it, doesn't go in for it. But in this moment of, of sheer anxiety, coming across it, he kind of sees it as a sign. So he goes inside of Candlewood and this actress, I her name escapes me, but she is a regular on Portlandia, a very funny uh, semi-series regular. And they have, kind of, this caught me off guard, and I was kind of surprised by it, and I think that's a bit of the point. Uh, there's a little bit of racial tension there where she asks, where are you from? And he says, Portland. She's like, but where are you from originally? And he just says, you know, I just give me that that fucking weed after presenting an ID that presumably he doesn't have a medical license, but he is a doctor. So I don't, I don't know how all that works, but regardless, he gets some and he heads outside and sees a homeless woman across the street and the voice of his mother is coming from her. So, uh, we see through a kind of a brief montage we're cross cutting between a bunch of the other storylines, of course, uh, he ends up smoking with this woman, uh, near a bus stop and then eventually makes his way back to, the wedding and finds that he really enjoys himself. So apparently weed works for Shukrani. So, you know, Ramon changed his mind on that. And we go out on kind of a happy note. He like reunites with the family. But I'm I'm very, very interested to see more of his backstory. And just I we don't have, at least in the shows that I'm currently following, we don't have a lot of just everyday Muslim characters. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting to just kind of present this family life in the way that they have thus far, which is, you know, not overly complicated other than the elements of the sun, of course, which we discussed in the previous episode. That seems like, you know, that's, you would think the parents would be the ones that would be at odds with that situation, but it's not. It's, uh, they're, again, totally accepting. It's all of how are we going to be perceived by the outside world given our religion, given all the stereotypes, uh, you know. So all that stuff is really fascinating, and I think they're handling it very, very well. I think part of that is because McDesey is a producer on the show uh, and probably has a good bit of input on kind of just being a, a, a technical advisor of sorts, I would imagine. So anyways, uh, I really enjoyed that. The big finisher, uh, which we'll hit uh, after... Everybody seems to be getting laid at the end of this episode. Uh, we end with Greg and Audrey have just had sex for the first time, and we presume quite a while, and it, it went well. Uh, he didn't even need Viagra this time. And we see in the closing moments that he opens up his laptop, and he sends a message to his former uh, regular escort and tells her, I can't see you anymore. Uh, like, this has got to end. And I... I Obviously, there's there's more to it there, uh, and they definitely hinted as much in the first episode. So he's trying to end things now because it seems like he's gotten emotionally back on track with Audrey, and they seem like they're in a really good place. And why would he want to jeopardize that by this, you know, formerly bad behavior, which clearly he has no intention of telling her about at this point, which I think is again gonna come back to bite him in the ass. So. 
he sends this message, and we see uh, four photographs of leaves that are arranged on, I think it's above their fireplace, or just, you know. Anyways. And we slowly see light emanating from these, and we get another 11-11. Once again, we end with Greg, not Ramon, now having seen 11-11. And there was a weird moment with a faucet earlier for Ramon, so, we're, again, we're kind of charting the, the weird occurrences and things going on around them. But that was one. And, of course, again, we, we end with 11-11 here. So, overall, points on this episode. It had some things that I did enjoy, namely the uh, Greg and Audrey scene and all of the stuff with Shikrani. And some stuff that I was not as crazy about, namely the sibling dynamics and that dinner and just... Some of the dialogue overall, this is not one written by Alan Ball. Presumably he has, you know, story approval and looks at all of these going forward, but it, uh, I don't have the writer's name in front of me, but I did note that it was not specifically written by Alan Ball. And again, I, I'm worrying a little bit with how much of it is the scripting and how much of it is performance at this point, but I, I want to invest in these characters more beyond just, you know, what I'm being presented, which sometimes feels like they are just mouthpieces for different sides of an argument. They're not fully fleshed out three-dimensional characters, but I I can see with some, namely Greg and Audrey in particular in this episode, that uh, they are onions, and we're going to see different shades and layers of, of, of all of that. So I, I'm still hopeful, but this was the first episode where there's just a few moments of dialogue and some moments with the characters, namely Ashley's husband, and uh, I completely uh, have not talked about one of my biggest sticking points, this whole subplot with uh, the model who gave Kristen an STD, who Ashley then uh, blackmails with a video confessing to statutory rape of Kristen uh, after Kristen is essentially rejected by him after she informs him, hey, I have chlamydia. You gave it to me, and this is what I look like without a horse mask on. So uh, that and you know that conversation didn't go well, and so Ashley takes it upon herself to do this and uh, sends a link to the video to Kristen, which she views towards the end of the episode, and is very very pleased with. And I just I didn't quite you know I felt like we were supposed to absolutely hate this male model guy and think of him as like complete male chauvinistic pig like in a position of power, all this different stuff, taking advantage of her, and I'm not defending him in any way, shape, or form. He is a total douchebag, but I didn't get the the zeal or the joy that I think they wanted us as an audience to have and, like, look at this guy, get his, you know? And I didn't didn't quite know how to take that element, and it, I, I you know, of, of all the things in this episode, that was the one thing that just kind of baffled me. And again, I I think the Audrey uh, school storyline, that whole uh, people of European descent versus all of the uh, minorities at the school, that whole element is going to have to walk a big tightrope. And it seems like they are just diving straight into it in the upcoming episodes. So we uh we will see what happens i'll be back here next week i hope you'll join me if you have any thoughts on this episode uh past episodes or what you think this show is heading towards uh if you want to start trying to call 
the ending of season one. And uh, as of this point, I don't know if we're getting a season two. Uh, I haven't delved into looking at what HBO is going to do. Usually, they greenlit thing, greenlight things pretty early in the run if it's coming back for a second season. Usually, by like week one, we'll hear something. So I'll do a little bit of investigation on that. But uh, in the meantime, if you have any feedback, let me know, thearchivee at gmail.com. If you want to yell at me on Instagram, it's at the Archivee Network, on Twitter, at the Archivee, and on Facebook, the Archivee. So follow us there. Give me any feedback you need to. I will be back next week, hopefully uh, free of any interruptions from our uh, co-host, who's been very unofficial co-host, excuse me, who's been very, very quiet. So again, thank you, Fife Dog. We're chilling out outside the studio. Thank you, listeners, if you're there, uh, for continuing to check out this show that a lot of people have already checked out on. Uh, I mean, both the HBO series and probably this podcast. But if any of you are out there and you're enjoying the coverage, please let me know. Uh, and thank you to anybody who's listened thus far. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be here, guys. I'm going to finish this out, good or bad. And... Uh, Right, right now, episode four might be that tipping point. I'll be honest with you. Whether I'm gonna completely check out and start hate watching this show, or uh, whether I'm whether I'm gonna be reinvigorated, we will see what happens. And that is, of course, the end of where critics. Uh, that's the initial. They got the first four episodes, and so we'll get fresh commentary from all of them uh, going from week five forward. So, until next time. For the TV Arc Podcast, I have been Noah, and this has been our coverage of Here and Now, Season 1, Episode 3, If a Deer Shits in the Woods. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. And until then, remember, live in the here and now. Good little road is trying to find me. Life with my pants behind me, I got a smile for everyone I meet. As long as you don't tie, dragging my bed, dropping the bomb on my street. Come on, baby, get in the road. Come on now, in the middle of the road, yeah. Good love the road.